Welcome to the Narrow Way Podcast with Micah and Royce, where we discuss modern conservative ideas, self-improvement, applied philosophy, faith, technology, and much more. Thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing, sir? Wonderful, wonderful. You? Oh, quite well. Great. Part two today of our poem. Oh, yes. If. Expository view of... If by Mr. Rudyard Kipling. What a great name, Rudyard Kipling. Rudyard, Rudyard. I Who don't know. would I've name their child Sir. that? <laughs> Sir Rudyard. 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 Interesting. So we, in the first, first part episode, we went through the first two stanzas, a four stanza, and I hope I'm getting that right. Mm-hmm. I'm going to sound like an idiot if that's not the right terminology, but the <laughs> first sure two paragraphs, yeah. first two stanzas. Well, add, add that in, yeah. Yeah, we got through in, in part one. So if you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to that one first. But we pick up in the third paragraph. So do, would you like to start us off? Sure. This one's a, it's a good one. It's an interesting one. If you can make one heap of all your winnings. So you got a huge heel. I think that's heap is like a... Yeah, like all your... Huge hill or huge treasure cave of all your winnings and risk it on one turn of pitch and toss. And you have to add the third line, I think, here. Yeah. And lose and start again at your beginnings and never breathe a word about your loss. This is like a whole arc of a... a, a of a story here yes. in one little sentence. So if you can take everything and bet the house on one roll of the dice yeah, and lose and start all over again and never bring it up, just keep that to yourself. Yeah. What does that say about somebody that can do that? They lose everything. And and what's interesting too is you lost it on something foolish almost. Something that like a pitch and toss. He's like just a little toss of a dice or a could be a sports game, you know, of the pitch, you know, and and you lose, you lose that risk. Um, it's interesting because there's a lot of, a lot of ideas about gambling nowadays, you know, and risking and risk versus reward and what's okay and what's not okay. And, uh, and so it's interesting that he, cause I'm pretty sure he was a, he was definitely a moral man, but I'm pretty sure he was a Christian man too. Rudyard Kipling. I have no idea, to be quite honest. But yeah, I think I remember that, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. But um, but he he adds this in because I think there's no such thing as mitigating risk completely from anything, and so if you're if you're going to try to grow um your wealth your status, anything, relationships, relationships, business, all of that takes risk. You've got to tell the woman you love her. 
you know, you got to ask her out the first yeah. time. I mean, you got to say hello. Yeah. Let's go, go say hi. Right. <laughs> that's, that's a hard work. That's for a, some that is. Yeah. And, uh, you've got to, you got to open that business. You know, you've got to quit, quit your current job and solely focus on that. And that's a huge risk, right? You got to, there's so many, so many places where this applies. I think that it's not just gambling. You know, it's not just somebody with a gambling problem. <laughs> I would even I, say that it probably doesn't, shouldn't apply. Yeah, to the, probably the, doesn't. Yeah. It's probably not about it's that. It's deeper. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's more about you took your shot and you struck out. You it's going to happen. Shot and you missed it. Yeah. And. But that qualifier. You lose, mm-hmm. but you start again at the beginning. You never talk about your loss. Start again at the beginning. That's a tough one. It's like you lost everything, and so now you have to start at zero again. There's a perspective on this, though, that when that happens, you don't really start at zero. Yeah. You may start at zero in your bank account. You may start at zero, friends. You may start at materially zero. But you have more knowledge. Yeah. You have more wisdom. You have more experience. And that stuff you can't lose. Sure. So, and this goes back to a little bit of what we talked about in the first episode of, you know, successful people who have failed. Almost all of them have failed at something. Mm -hmm. But they started over. And they just... They didn't dwell on the past. They didn't dwell about the failure. You know, they didn't sit there and for the rest of their life go, what was me? I lost. So-and-so stabbed me in the back. No, they just didn't. They just moved on, started over. Maybe they didn't have anything, but they had the knowledge from that prior failure. And then they went on to build success in whatever domain. Mm-hmm. but they went on to build success. That perseverance. Do you think that you could boil this down to perseverance? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's perseverance, but also I think it's, um, understanding that we're all one bad decision from losing everything. Ooh. Because that's kind of what I see here a little bit too. He never says it was smart to risk everything you have on one pitch and toss. He's saying you did it. So you 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 risked it all and you lost it. And understanding that we're all one step away from that. But when that happens, then start over again that's where your perseverance comes in and if you may if you bet the house on red number or black number four (laughs) enough times eventually you're going to hit black number four and you're going to win big yep you're going to lose most of the time but if you keep at it buddy one of those times that ball is going to land in black number four and you are going to hit it yep the last line is what gets me 
is never breathe a word about your loss. Why is, why is that so important at the end of that? It makes me think that if you talk about those prior failures, prior losses, it keeps them in your mind. And I think it can inhibit you from doing it again. Mm. Risking again. Risking again. You know, it's like the classic heartbreak right thought she was the one and it and it was perfect and it was you you risked it all on this figuratively speaking and you got your heart broke you have two options you have several options you can never risk again and lead a a life filled with a lot less satisfaction you can do it again and still dwell on the that past relationship and that will always affect the next time that will always you can if you if you contemplate it, if you dwell on it enough, it will affect subsequent iterations. But if you can manage to separate those things, you can find that success and not have it affected by prior failures. You know, it's like, you never want to be with a person that's constantly bringing up past relationships, right? Like that's just, nobody likes that. I don't care who you are. No one, when your significant other talks about their ex, Mm -hmm. that's never great. Nope. No one want to hear about it. You don't want to hear about it. (laughs) Okay. When you're, it's like some things are better just left alone. Move on. My wife, I never want to know their names. I never know and know who they are because mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want to think about it. And then I definitely don't trust myself. Maybe with that information. Yeah, and you know, obviously, most of the time, it's pretty benign. Sure. Yeah. It's you know, and nothing serious like that. Yeah. But, but it still has an effect. Yeah. And it's better left unsaid. Mm-hmm. There are certain past things that are better left not talked about yep. because they don't do any good to talk about them and they only af- negatively affect the future. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it's, I think he sees the importance of adding it here to, and, and it goes with what you're saying, but not becoming the self-fulfilling prophecy. If you approach it and eh, it's just going to do this again, if you have a specific attitude it lowers your energy level. It lowers your work ethic. It lowers all these things that are required to make something successful. And if you have the attitude of this is just going to turn out like this did, this past relationship, this is going to turn out like this past business, this is going to turn out like this past venture, then it's going to become a self-fulfilling prophecy because you aren't providing the things needed to make it successful 
because you're not learning from the past. You're just bringing up your failure constantly and thinking about that and thinking that's the only thing that can happen because I'm cursed. I've always, are you familiar with the secret? That whole thing? Oh, no. It was a, a big deal. I don't know, 20 years ago. 15 years ago, it's a book that came out. I might then. I it was this whole philosophy of you have to manifest your success mm. in your mind. That's all in your mind. That if you think positive thoughts long enough, that you will manifest your way to success, which is on the surface complete bogus. Yes, right. Right? Yeah. That's not how life works. Yes. But there's a grain of truth in that in that if you can and and i think that's what the the core of that phrase is or that idea is going forward you don't dwell you don't bring up the past failures you don't dwell on anything you learn from it and move on and you envision a brighter future and that keeping those possibilities at bay in your mind does has a, a, an outsized benefit moving forward. Because like you said, it, it can become a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you say something enough, if you do something enough, you can... And I don't know exactly how this really physically works, but if you constantly think about something, you will orient yourself to that. It's like when, you, when you're driving, you're looking forward, and then you look over at something when you're driving. Maybe a, a spectacle on the side of the road, somebody standing there, a sign, and you look over... And you naturally will start to drive toward it. And you look, whoa, and you back, try to straighten back on the road. But whatever you look at, you will tend to orient yourself towards. Maybe not immediately, but if you stare at something long enough, you'll start progressing towards that. And if you stare at the, if you stare at failure long enough, you're just going to walk toward it stare at those bad things long enough you're going to walk toward it and that's really i think the truth in that whole manifestation of success is that if you can not look at the wrong path and you can focus you will orient yourself towards what is good what is right yeah and last thing i think is you can't change the past so so why are you talking about it? Why are you bringing it up? You messed up. It's gone. You can't change it. So move on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh. If you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your turn long after they are gone, and so hold on when there is nothing in you, Except the will, which says to them, hold on. So this leads right into your perseverance here, too, because that is, I think, the heartbeat of this one is 
your heart I see is your emotions. Your nerve is your brain and your sinews like your will, your strength. Everything. Everything, yeah. So so you've got these three really controlling uh, aspects of people. And it's you controlling them. Your emotions don't control you. Your intellect doesn't control you. Or your will doesn't control you. And you break that down, and that's a lot of what people allow to control themselves. Um, because people have to feel a certain way. If they don't feel a certain way, they're not happy. They don't things things aren't what they want them to be because their heart isn't in the right place. It's not where it should be. And the nerve is, you know, again, that's it's not just intellect and brain. It's also like I like um it's hard to hard to put words on that, but like the 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 mindset really to go on to 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 force yourself to go against what your brain is saying, stop, it's enough, we can't do this anymore. So forcing everything within you to serve your turn, so to fulfill, to, to, to perform mm-hmm. when it's your turn to perform. It, it's your turn to get up there. I guess I'm seeing, you know, I could, I, I'm seeing someone holding the weight or, uh, an endurance type competition, right? And everything in them is saying, let go, let go. But you see that other person holding on and you say, nope, not till they do. They're digging deep. And they, and you see both are striving not to let this weight go until the other person drops first and forcing yourself so long to where there's nothing in you. There's nothing left. Like your brain's gone, your emotions gone. Everything is gone except for the will that says, no, hold on. We're not letting this go. We've come too far. We've done too much. We've been through too much. We've prepared too much for this to let it go. We're going to hold on. Leaving it all on the field. Whew. Yeah. At the end of the day, if you're honest with yourself, whether you win or lose, only you know if you put it, if you gave it your all. That's something that only you can know. And if you win, you know that it wasn't just you if you didn't leave it all on the field. And if you lose and you didn't leave it all on the field, you know that you could have done better. You could have done more. It's only in that time when you truly gave it everything you had that you can 
be at peace with that with the outcome and when you give it everything it almost doesn't matter whether you win or lose when you give something everything and you hold on to the bitter end whatever the outcome you can sleep sound at night because you know and only you know you held on till the last and everything else was out of your control Everything that was in your control, you performed. You did it. You put it all on the line. You left it all there. Yeah, I I never believed that until I was probably in high school. Like, everything was about winning. If you don't win, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how good you play. It doesn't matter how that works. None of that matters. And I was playing in a soccer league, AYSO, American Youth Soccer League thing. Shout out, AYSO. AYSO. Uh, And I remember it was the first year me and my brother were actually on different teams. And so I was on the red team. We were red. Shout out, red team. Yep. And the good team that year was the black team. They had, like, all the good players. Like, we all knew it. We we were 90% sure it was fixed. That all these buddies got together, let's get on this team. And they were undefeated, as far as I remember. Nobody had come close. And they were beating teams like 6, 8 to 0, which doesn't happen very often in soccer, okay? It wasn't even close. What was the playoffs? And we were playing them first because we just squeaked in at fourth place to go top four teams play each other. First place, fourth, second place, third. And so we just squeaked in the playoffs and we were playing the black team first. And that game, I just went in and said, I'm going to play my heart out. Because no one said, we're not going to win. It's not going to happen. And I remember that I went for, because I played defense. I wasn't on offense scoring goals. I was playing defense. And every time I ran at the guy that had the ball, cutting off the passing lanes, but mainly taking the ball. And there were times I was going from defense all the way up the field with the ball. I just remember this. And we lost the game. All right. It's not a it's not a one of those stories, the feel good story, but we only lost one to zero. They only scored one goal. And it was on a penalty. That was a handball from somebody. I was really upset about it, but it wasn't me. <laughs> but I remember working so hard and at the end of the game, I remember it was like five minutes left. I ran at a guy and my calves seized up. Like I, my body literally gave out to where they were stiff. And you see this with NFL players and stuff like that. But until you've experienced it, like it was telling me we're done. And the coach is like, telling me to come off. And I said, no, go away. I'm staying on here. And I'm like running and limping at these guys, right? Not letting these people score. Game's over. We lose. And everyone on the other team came to me. And they were like, you are the most annoying player we've ever played against. And I felt like I won. You know, that I don't think it would have even felt better had we beat them for me personally because of the respect that was built 
in how I played. And that showed me a very important lesson. You can't always control if you're going to be the smartest, the strongest, the best equipped, all, all, all these things. You, there's things that are always going to be out of your control, but you can control how much effort you give. And if you're willing to give more effort and push yourself to give more effort, then you're going to see a lot of success. It's going to happen. And you're going you're gonna to gain respect from other people because they see how much work you're putting in. And, and that's a huge principle in life that I think he's trying to show here. And you know that you gave it your all. You're true to yourself in that instance when you do that. Yep. Like you said, it, it wouldn't have mattered if you'd won or lost. Because you had gave it so much. You gave 110%. Yeah. Such a cliche. You got to give 110%. But when you actually give 110%, You go to sleep at night. Doesn't matter. It doesn't. Being, yeah, going more, longer than anyone thought possible, longer than you thought possible, pushing harder to make yourself be there until it is absolutely as possible as you can go, as far as you can go. The human will is an amazing thing. Yeah. The, what the mind can, can what the mind can do what everything is capable of when you can hold on mm-hmm. and not give in it, it's a requirement for success for true success something to think about it is where you are at in your personal journey of that you know if you're giving it 50 percent in your marriage in your job in your church in anything and what a life you can live When you give it 100%, when you give it all you got, what a life you are capable of living. And you only get to live one. Yep. It's not like you get multiple chances. Why not live the one 100%? Yeah. Why not see what you're made of? Take control of your shortcomings too, your laziness that wants to sit and do nothing, make yourself get up and do something, make yourself go somewhere, make yourself do the things that you know are good and make your life better and do those things instead of giving in to the... And we're talking to ourselves. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is 100% self-talk here. Yes. It's like, why aren't you? Why aren't you doing this? Mm -hmm. 
Why are you being a pansy? Grab life by the horns, man. Hold on. And hold on. Yeah. It's good. Next stanza or paragraph. The last one. If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue or walk with kings nor lose the common touch. You can talk with crowds and keep your virtue. Anytime you're telling a story to someone, there's an ever-present temptation to make yourself the hero. Sure. Or to make yourself appear more important. Or to make yourself look cooler. Or to make the story more interesting. I think the ability to resist that is in and of itself a virtue. Mm. To be honest. Yes. Because it's so easy. And it's such a... phrase. Ah. When you tell a story and you see the excitement in someone's eyes and you know, well, I might have just tweaked that a little yeah. bit maybe that's not exactly how it happened but man it got a better reaction mm-hmm. got more applause more people see me now yeah it's it's a it's actually more difficult than than people realize oh yeah when you really sit back and think and obviously some people don't a lot of people, most people probably don't speak in front of crowds, but everybody tells stories and everybody's been guilty of that. That could be your feed too, or your Facebook post, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be in a physical realm too. It's a good point. If you can be honest with your, and, and, and social media hijacks this so much. Yeah. Because it's it's a curation of all the, you know, if you're an active social media user, it's the curation of all the best parts of your life, usually. Yes. The highlight reel. Mm-hmm. But it's not really 100% honest. And I don't know how you can, in a manner that makes sense, how you can rectify that, you know, without being... mundane because we've monetized that as a society yeah people only want to see the the good stuff they only want to hear the good stories they only want to hear the the most interesting or the most tantalizing facts i mean i think we see this this is a problem with the news i mean the news has been hijacked by this the only thing that sells is the most extreme stuff mm-hmm. or the stuff that's, you know, they'll take a story and they'll amplify certain portions of it so much just to get a reaction from the crowd. 
I think here too is it's also touching peer pressure. Yeah. Because you're going with a group of people and everyone makes their opinion known and they expect you to just fall in line with what they want. And he's saying here, there's a desire to do that. When you go out with friends, if the friends all do something, then there's a desire. Well, I don't want to be that guy. You know, I don't want to be the person that doesn't do this thing. And it says, and he says, you're going with them. You're talking with them, but you're keeping your virtue. You're keeping true to yourself. What makes you, you not giving into what they want you to be being who you need to be, who you want to be. Having courage. Yeah. I can't help but help but think of politicians too when I think of this and how absent that is from politics today. And I think that infuriates a lot of people because it's almost like you go and say, what do you stand for? And they say, well, what's important to you? And then you tell them and they're like, I definitely stand for that. You know, it's just like, just what do you, what are you about? Who are you? I don't want to hear you say you want what I want. I want to hear what you want. Like, who are you? And, and I think that's why we saw Trump gain such a following is because he was unapologetically himself. Love him or hate him. Love him or hate him. And I don't know that he kept the second part of keep your virtue, maybe but all the time. Depends but, on what virtue we're talking about. Yeah, that's a big one. <laughs> but at least he didn't let them take away who he was right he was who he was and and it's so absent and it was so different from what we've grown to see in politics from conservative and liberal of both sides of of they the politicians had become whatever the people whatever was popular with their party whatever was popular with what everyone wanted that's what they were going to become they didn't get to be who they were and now you're starting to get people that are starting to say, no, this is, this is what I think we need and this is what I would do. And they're owning that more. But, and I think putting yourself in a position where you can do that is also very important. It's something that a lot of people don't consider, especially early on in life, is how important it is to get yourself to the position where you are not beholden, mm. that you can keep your virtue. You can be you. You can have your your thoughts. Yeah. You can, without fear of not retaliation, but without fear of what you're going to lose. You know, how many people are controlled by other people or by ideology or by fill in the blank because they've 
put themselves in a position that they can't afford not to be. They've backed themselves into that corner. And if you can, if you can in any way get yourself in a position financially, uh, financially especially, because that's the one that typically gets people in this scenario, but in other areas too, where you can get yourself in a position in life to where you can be true to yourself and not die. You know, not... I think of somebody in a corporate scenario that that has to toe the line because maybe they have a bunch of student loans and they get into this scenario and something that they have to do doesn't align with what they actually believe. But they can't afford not to. Like, how terrible that must be to be in that position. And I think a lot of people are in that position. Where they have to compromise. They have to make that decision. They have to compromise their their integrity. They have to compromise their virtues. They have to compromise their character just to stay alive because they put themselves in this position. Stay relevant, yeah. Not not to risk alienation or excommunication of the populace, or the what's popular, what what's important to people. Or walk with kings nor lose the common touch. Not a lot of us have walked with kings. Um, it's a, uh, and th- I think the picture there is royalty, the people that are in the upper es- echelon of in authority. Yeah, authority as well as wealth. I yeah. think that's the because when people get to a certain point in wealth, they don't see common people anymore. They don't see the problems of everyday people anymore. They don't care about what makes things work and and how everything is they don't see people anymore they just they're seeing numbers and they're blinded by their wealth and power and i think a lot of leaders of countries this is why they don't most countries have a limit on terms that leaders can can be in specific positions is because People become numbers and they become expendable and they don't they don't have that common touch anymore. They they aren't in touch with society. They're not in touch with what the people are and and what they want and and the struggles they go through and the heartaches they go through and the the good that they go through and, and the things that they enjoy. They're just completely disconnected from others in that aspect. That takes effort. Yeah. It takes effort to walk with kings, and then when you get there, it takes effort to keep your humanity yeah. about you. It, there's a, there's always a tension there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it reminds me of the Bible story of the butler and the baker with Joseph. Yeah. And how he 
they're both in prison with Joseph. They both have a dream. And the butler's dream leads him to being executed the next day. And the baker's dream leads to him being restored to the, the king's house once again. And Joseph says to the baker, when you're restored, remember me. Remember what I did and remember who I am. And we see the baker get restored and he loses that. He loses the comment. He doesn't care anymore. Why would I care about you anymore? I'm out of prison. You are no use to me anymore. But then the king has a dream. And then the baker remembers, oh, I know a guy. <laughs> he was pretty accurate with what happened in my dream. I'll bring him up. But that's the when I when I hear that it's just such a such such a common thing that happens. People get rich, they get wealthy, their their status changes, and then they don't see the common people anymore. They don't. They just what use are you to me? I'm I'm above you now. What's the what's the point of me seeing you anymore? And and that's where he's saying, this is rare. Because people that are around power, are around wealth, are around those people that dictate what happens in society. It is vital and it is special when they don't lose the common touch, lose what is important to the common people. I've had the privilege of knowing and speaking with several people that are high net worth. And it's always refreshing when you're around those kind of people and you realize that, oh, they're just people. You know, they all bleed red. They all get hungry. They all get sad. And when there's when they're still willing to speak with you, there's a lot of respect there. It is a virtuous thing to not think so highly of yourself that you can't converse with someone who's many ranks lower than you on the the ladder of life because we all start out at the same place and we all end up in the same place. It's true. It's a big one. If neither foe foes nor loving friends can hurt you, neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you. How do you build thick skin? Yeah. We, we, I mean, we take it for granted that foes are going to hurt us, right? Mm -hmm. But loving friends? Yeah. That's a, that's a whole nother level. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's one of those, those principles you've got to set and make yourself not put too much faith in people 
because people are flawed. They're going to fail. They're going to fall short of your expectations. I don't know if it's not putting too much faith in people. I just think it's continuing to put faith in people even when they fail. Yeah. Fail you. And somehow, yeah, it might even be understanding. Putting yourselves, putting yourself in their point to understand why they did what they did. So that in thinking of this other person, you don't allow them to hurt you. You know, and so the foes nor loving friends, because foes can hurt you too. Yeah. If if anybody says something derogatory towards you or hurtful, whether it's true or not, there's always this pain that can happen if you let it. And so I think it's also not allowing others to dictate your pain. So not caring enough about what they think, not caring and not caring too much about what they think on either side. Because uh, caring what people think about you is a is a hard one, because we all do it. We all care what people think about us. Some of us show it. Some of us hide it better than others. But to some degree, we all do naturally think that way. We care what people think about us. So it's learning to teach yourself not to allow pain to come from that. That's tough. Yeah, we're getting... I think of the words of Jesus. Yeah. Do good to them that hate you. Mm-hmm. Pray for them, which, and I might be paraphrasing here, but pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Mm-hmm. Do good to them that hate you? Yeah. Seriously? I mean, that goes against the core. Yeah. And really, it's the only way I feel like you can fulfill this one is if I'm being good to those that hate me for him. Because I know he wants what's best for me, and this is what he wants. So I'm going to do it trusting him, God. And so I'm going to love these people that hate me. I'm going to pray for these people that are using me. I'm going to show love instead of retaliating to what I want to do. And the only way to not receive pain from that is to know that you're pleasing God when you're doing that. I don't see another way that that's possible. Yeah, I think it's, I don't think you can, I don't think you can do this without, that in your life without a higher ideal Mm -hmm. 
without knowing that there's someone that loves you unconditionally, you know, as a creator. I think lacking that framework renders all human relationships incomplete to some degree. Yeah. Because you don't have the understanding of love. And like you said, you don't have that thing to fall back on. Mm-hmm. And this next phrase, if all men count with you, but none too much. I think that's connected to this somewhat too, because he says, he's talking about foes, friends, kings, crowds. And then he says, so if all men count with you, that means if all men are involved with you in your life, but none too much. So, Keeping a separation from yourself and and other people to a degree where, not to where they can't get too close, but to the degree where you don't allow them to get so close that they control you and they dictate your life for you. So understanding the boundaries that need to be present in one's life to make sure you're living your life and not other people's lives or your parents' lives or whatever, fill in the blank. Making sure that the proper boundaries are in place to where they don't dictate who I am. Yeah, I think you hit it. You never want to put your eggs in one basket, right? Yeah. You got to have balance. And you spend enough time with people, you you come to the understanding of that no matter how much you like someone, it's never good to be with them all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Even a spouse. Mhm. That Balance is important. One, I think it makes the time spent together more enjoyable, more satisfying, because there is a contrast there. Yeah. I'm not saying you shouldn't spend a lot of time with certain people, but incorporating those boundaries can actually improve a relationship. Yeah. Whether it's with a friend or with a spouse, even your closest relationships. And it can make the end result better. Yeah, I always, I use like marriage as an example for this because I think it resonates so well with a lot of people, but 
there's this desire, especially when you're newlyweds, to spend every second together or or a new new couple that are dating. I want to spend every moment I possibly can with this person. And there's this uh, there needs to be this understanding that you have to be apart to miss one another. Because in order to to experience missing one another, you cannot be together. But that that feeling when you are apart and there's pain there complements the the moment where you get to be reunited once again. It's like food. There comes a point where the best food is disgusting because you've had too much of it. And that might not be the greatest analogy for a relationship. Every example breaks down somewhere. Every example breaks down somewhere. But the principle is there. You don't eat donuts every day. Or you don't eat donuts at every meal. All day, every day, yeah. All day, every day. One, because you'll get fat. And that's no good. But two, when you do have the donut, it's good special and I said I think of this because I ate a donut today <laughs> a crispy cream oh they're so good it's like a just the right amount of fluffy on the inside and like hard somewhat hard glaze on the outside they're the perfect donut but I've had times in my life where I ate crispy cream donuts every day and they start getting not as good. And, and you can, when you don't have it, you can almost remember what it's like when you when you have it, but it's not the same until you have it. Exactly. And then that makes it that much better because you're like, that's it. That's what I was waiting for. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. Yeah. To an extent. To an extent. There's yes. there's limitations to yes. everything. I don't, and you, this applies to each relationship differently. Sure. But, like you said, having the boundaries ultimately make the relationships better. Yeah. If you can fill the unforgiving minute, ooh, that's a that's a great description of time. Unforgiving. I love that. With sixty seconds worth of distance run. Mm-hmm. I don't think you, people are like I can run for sixty seconds. It's not a big deal. Yeah, it is. It's a big yeah. deal. <laughs> I think his point here is time because life is a vapor. It's your life is going to fly by you like a minute and it doesn't stop that minute. Yeah. It's unforgiving. And we talked about this a little bit in our time episode, but, but the idea here I think is, is giving it your all like we've talked about. You fill it up. You run, you don't walk, you don't, Stop, look around, you're you're running. 
You're, you're going somewhere. For 60 seconds. You filled that minute. And you ran for every second. Yeah. You gave it all you got. Again, you left it all on the line. Mm. I I go back to another brings to mind another biblical reference in Hebrews. Yeah. One of my favorite passages of scripture. It says run patience the race that is set before us help me out with this how does that start (laughs) lay aside lay aside the weight and the sin which does so easily beset us now i gotta look at hebrews 12 i don't want to paraphrase it hebrews 12 1 wherefore also we are compassed about with so great cloud of witnesses every time man as soon as we start looking it up, we remember Quote it. something. And uh-huh. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Let read verse 3, too. That's the, that's uh, looking key. unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. So there's the motivation. Yeah, when, when you're running, I've never been a long-distance runner. I, Me too. Surprise, right? No, but uh, I mean... I hated running the mile even in school, like when you did that testing, you know, and, and all that. And, and that was something that it was really, really hard to, I guess for me to find the right pace, but also I just didn't like running just to run. Where are we going? We're running in circles around this track. This is idiotic. You know, all the, all those thoughts, but yet I talked earlier about, playing soccer 90 minutes is a game and probably not at that level i think we played two 30 minute halves i think if i remember right but still that's an hour of solid running basically in soccer the way that we were playing (laughs) and and yet here a, a mile took six minutes and 20 seconds i think is something that we were shooting for you know Maybe eight minutes we're running because there's no motivation. That that motivation is so important when you're running. And I think that's here what he's kind of getting to is it's worth of distance run. You've gone somewhere when the time's expired, when the minute's over, when when the time is done of what, because there's certain things you can only do in certain time periods of your life. And when that time is over, did you run? Did it's you over. do something? You know? Yeah. And and what did you do? Was it was it was it done? But he doesn't talk anything about the destination. No. It's the destination's not mentioned at all. Nope. It's just that did you run? Did you run all those sixty seconds? Did you give it to your all? What doesn't matter how far you made it. 
Nope. Some are going to make it farther. I'm not, <laughs> if I run for 60 seconds, I'm not going to make it nearly as far as Usain Bolt yeah, is right? going to make it in 60 seconds. I'm probably not going to make it as far as the 50% of the population <laughs> makes it in 50 sec- 60 seconds. Yeah. But if I run for all 60 seconds, I'm going to make it a lot farther than have I not run. Yep. Or if I walked or if I didn't run. Yeah. If I only ran for 30 of those 60 seconds, mm. I'm not going to make it as far. Yep. It goes back to that pushing yourself to the hold on, making yourself go when you think I can't run anymore. Keep running. Oh, that's good. So if we accomplish all these things that are in this poem, he concludes with this. Yours is the earth and everything that's in it. And which is more, you'll be a man, my son. That's what a man's supposed to be. That's a, oh, what is a man? What is a good man? These principles man what a what a great insight to a to a good man's brain that sat down and really thought about this to living a fulfilled and complete life but i love that he goes if that's the name only if you decide because that's what makes men is the doers, not the thinkers, not the sit on the couch doing. It's the doers. If you go and do this, that makes you the man. Yours is the earth and everything that's in it. It's all out there for the taking. Yeah, because if you can accomplish these things, he's like, no one can touch you. No one can stop you. You're going to be in those positions that everyone tries to get to talks about talks about says if i was there i would do this but they're not willing to do what it takes to get there tell you what the competition's getting less and less every day yeah there's a lot fewer men in this context than there used to be definitely so if you can do these things It's all yours. It's all. It's waiting for you. Mm, I love it. It's powerful. It is. If by Mr. Rudyard Kipling, probably one of the greatest works of poetry the last century. Especially that's geared towards men. Like, like that's really, and he kind of hides it the whole way through. There's no mention of of being a man until the end. It's like he concludes it with, not only will you be a man, you'll be a man, my son. It's almost like he's talking to his to his kid, but it's a, or or an older man just talking to a younger man. Like, this is what I've learned in my years. This is what I've seen. If you accomplish these things, yours is the world, everything in it. But the most important thing is, is you'll be a man. What is a man? There's a good description. It's a good jumping off point. It is. 
Let me get you started at least. Well, that was fun. It was. I enjoyed that. Hope you all enjoyed it as well. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Until next time. See you.